Coming up on Stu Does America, we're already seeing America's personal liberties being stripped away every day during the pandemic. How long before we start seeing terrifying moves toward population control? I can't wait. Cato Institute's Chelsea Follett joins us to put the U.S. in context with places like China and India. And the more the media looks into Andrew Cuomo, the more it becomes publicly apparent that Andrew Cuomo is awful. Com. We look at a former colleague of his who had some choice words on, the, on Twitter about the governor. Are you watching the show for free on YouTube? Uh, I know I am. If so, be sure to subscribe and hit the channel and that little bell that gives you notifications every time we post. Save for our audio-only podcast version of the show, available every day, by the way. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. We've got some brand new Christmas items available in our merch store. By now, you might already know about, ah, we have the first one in, the Santifa Claus sweatshirt. The combination of Santa Claus and Antifa from the autonomous zone of the North Pole coming to your town with a Molotov cocktail and a baseball bat. Uh, and it's not a riot. It's a mostly peaceful tree lighting, our, our biggest selling mug lately, at least. Uh, right now, because it's Christmas and because our supplier completely ran out of these, Nancy Pelosi sucks pens, we've got the brand new Nancy Pelosi sucks t-shirt. Yes, you and your friends and your family. Uh, show them what you think of this Nancy Pelosi fossil on her own, barely legible sort of handwriting there. Uh, here's is available today at stewdoesmerch.com. Go buy one, keep this show on the air. As the uh, internet squabbles over the blame for the spread of coronavirus, and it's becoming more and more apparent that the battle is already lost, let's put all of our chips in the science and technology basket and do the Trump vaccine. Stu does America. You know, sometimes I get criticized for not knowing how to lock in viewers with a sexy headline. Apparently, you're supposed to grab people right out of the chute with a gripping lead to draw their attention and suck them in for the entire segment. So let me give it a shot. Today, we're going to talk about a new working paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research. Yeah. Paper was looking at U.S. media coverage and why it's so negative when talking about COVID-19. Now that I know you're not going anywhere, let me hit you in the face with the abstract from the study. Boom. 91% of stories by U.S. major media outlets are negative in tone versus only 54% uh, for non-U.S. major sources and uh, 65% for scientific journals. The negativity of the U.S. major media is notable even in areas with positive scientific developments, including school reopenings and vaccine trials. Okay, so even when the news is good, the news is bad. The research from the NBER also states U.S. major media readers strongly prefer negative stories about COVID-19 and negative stories in general. Stories of increasing COVID-19 cases outnumber stories of decreasing cases by a factor of 5.5 to 1, even during periods when new cases are declining. In case you're missing the message here, even when the news is good, the news is bad. Again, quoting the abstract, among U.S. major media outlets, stories discussing President Donald Trump and hydroxychloroquine are more numerous than all stories combined that cover companies and individual researchers working on COVID-19 vaccines. Again, even when the news is good, the news is bad. But the good news is you all apparently love bad news. So that's good news for me, which, of course, is bad news for me. So here's some bad news. There was a long time, a long time ago, 
not so so long ago that you might not remember it, but it was kind of a long time ago, where maybe possibly perhaps there was a chance that the American people might have been able to look at the COVID situation and make reasonable fact based assessments of risk and arrive at a place where things made sense. Kids go to school. Nursing homes are protected. Everyone isn't a complete douche. You know, basically the exact opposite of Andrew Cuomo. By the way, Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. But the time for being a normal human being and having a fact based conversation is, I hate to say it, behind us. It's gone extinct. We have proven, I think, a lot of things in this country. But if we've proven anything as a nation during this crisis, we are completely incapable of figuring this out as adults before the conversation goes completely off the rails. We are stuck in this perpetual lockdown conversation from like March, where one side says, shut the economy down. The other side says, open the economy up. But we're not really in either scenario at this point. We've never been in either scenario. In April, in the peak of the shutdowns, it's estimated that 29% of the economy was shut down. That's not nothing. That's a lot. That's a huge deal. It's the biggest story of my lifetime. But we have to keep this in perspective. And despite the constant talk about shutdowns today, even people like Anthony Fauci and Deborah Birx say that full shutdowns shouldn't be on the table anymore. And even with all the new restrictions added lately, we are not currently anywhere near a shutdown. Currently, only eight of 50 states have businesses mostly closed. That's not a small deal. It's a big one. They're all blue uh, states, by the way, except for Kentucky, who had all of their citizens drunk off their bourbon on election night a couple of years ago and elected a Democrat governor. There are also some states that have uh, some businesses closed, including Idaho, because they apparently have closed nightclubs. Fast fact for you, no one has ever gone to a nightclub in Idaho. It's true. The main reason you move to Idaho is to be as far away from nightclubs as possible. The main reaction of citizens when the shutdown of nightclubs in, a, in Idaho was announced was, wait, we had nightclubs in Idaho? Really? In addition to the closings, only two states have what are considered active stay-at-home orders. That would be California and Ohio. And even in a place like California, look at what this means. We have uh, this is these are the things that are open retail. OK, it's a lot. Food and drink, indoor dining in some counties, personal care, pet groomers, nail salons, cosmetology services, tattoo parlors. Got to get that tattoo during the pandemic. Piercing shops in some counties, houses of, of worship in some counties, entertainment casinos in some areas, zoos in some counties. You must have the zoos open. We've been saying this since February. Movie theaters in some counties, museums, galleries and aquariums in some counties, arcades and bowling alleys in some counties, theme parks in some counties, outdoor and recreation gyms in some counties, industries, manufacturing, warehouses, offices in some counties, movie, television and music production. What is closed? Food and drink, bars and indoors and personal care, hair salons and barbershops in some counties, personal care services in some counties. Remember, all hair salons are closed unless you're Nancy Pelosi. Same goes for wearing masks. Something like 37 states have mask mandates right now. But if you look at the map, map of Mac mask usage, so how many people are actually using masks, it's a color-coded map that features all the colors of the rainbow from really bluish green to slightly lighter bluish green. I mean, there's really not a wide range of separation between states with mandates and without. 
And the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation uh, at University of Washington points out, our statistical analysis of mask mandates suggests that a mandate with no penalties is associated with a, hold on, wait for it, it's going to be big, an 8% uh, percentage point increase of mask use, and a mandate with penalties is associated with a 15 percentage point increase. That's not no difference. But it is not the kind of difference that should dominate every talk show and news broadcast for nine months. However, there is absolutely no sexiness in reporting that masks might be moderately helpful in some circumstances and mandating them might slightly increase their use, but comes with pretty large concerns related to individual liberty for very limited benefit. This conversation is so beyond broken at this point. I no longer think there is any use in conducting it. Everyone is talking about two sides of some mythical world where masks will cure you simultaneously while the economy is totally opened and closed. There is no hope in our culture figuring out this in a sensible way. That's why I would rather move on to the next argument. Allow me to talk to you about the Trump vaccine. I know needles freak a lot of people out, but assuming this works for just a second, can we be optimistic for such a, just a second? It's been such a long year. There are a lot of reasons for conservative to, uh, conservatives overall to embrace this. No more freaking masks is number one. Yes, I know some officials still say that they may try to keep mask mandates in effect. But once you get vaccinated, no one is wearing masks anymore. And that's a positive. Number two, it's a victory for capitalism. These big evil pharmaceutical companies that the left has vilified for decades are here to save the day. Yay! Number three, it's a victory for deregulation. Operation Warp Speed did a couple of important things. It guaranteed these companies a chance to develop a vaccine without worrying about blowing tons of cash. But it also got rid of a bunch of regulations to streamline the production of the vaccine. Pretty amazing. Number four, it's a victory for the Trump legacy. In fact, if this works, it might be the ultimate achievement of the Trump administration. I know it's a big statement, but this has been a pretty big deal. I don't know if anyone's noticed. This is an all-time record for vaccine development. I like to think of it as the Trump administration sticking it in every media source's faces. Which party is the party of science? You guys, the people who are saying, I don't want to take the the vaccine because that guy, he's orange and I don't like this. I don't like his skin tone. Is that the party of science? I'll say this. You know, this has been a long and winding road. And I named this thing today, Stu does the Trump vaccine, because, you know, it was something Geraldo said off the cuff on the air one day where he said, I don't know, maybe we should call it the Trump vaccine. And that would be a nice tip of the hand to it seemed to be like some effort to appease Donald Trump so he would stop complaining about the election or something. I laughed at it, honestly, when I heard it. The Trump vaccine. No one's going to do that. But like, I honestly, we should be thinking of ways. I'm embracing it because I want. I want conservatives to take advantage. I want conservatives to take a victory lap on this one. I want conservatives to say, you know what? We did do a pretty amazing thing back then in 2020. Even though that year sucked, this was an incredible achievement. It's done on the backs of the evil Donald Trump and the evil pharmaceutical companies. Now, I don't think, and I want to make this very, very clear, the worst thing in the world we could do with this vaccine is to mandate it. It should not be mandated by any means, no way, shape, or form. Um, that is uh, something that I think would, would damage greatly the adoption of this vaccine. But if it works, this is a big deal. And it's something that Republicans, conservatives, Donald Trump fans can all come together and say, hey, 
this is something that we kind of all achieved here. Uh, and it is something that I don't know. Maybe we could take advantage for a positive, de- uh, uh, take uh, credit for a positive development. You know the media is going to try to give Joe Biden credit for this vaccine somehow. You know it's coming. I will not allow it to happen. Number five, we can't afford to lose any more voters. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but elections aren't always easy to win for Republicans. So we should probably keep as many of them alive as possible. That's just a general, you know, just a general recommendation. Number six, we need to open up the economy. Trying to convince Gavin Newsom to become rational about COVID restrictions, I assure you, is not the answer. It's not going to work. We have to solve this thing with a medical or technological innovation. That's what we do here. This is America. We don't cower in our homes. We take on big problems and we solve them. The media is going to try to find a way to give credit to Joe Biden for this vaccine if it works as well as expected. You know what's going to happen. And at the end of the day, there are many power-hungry politicians out there. We will never go back to normal. Never. If our plan is to convince Andrew Cuomo to be rational, he will never, ever do it. The truth is, only a vaccine or an innovative treatment of some sort is going to actually open up the economy, return us to normal life. And honestly, it's the only way to overcome the incontrovertible fact that Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. Do you want to be less fat? This is what we need. We need not a vaccine. We need uh, a shot that will make us all just less fat. How about uh, some sort of treatment, some sort of magic pill? When is this happening? It's been so long. I've been waiting for the magic pill this entire time. That's my excuse. How about you? Intermittent fasting is kind of like a magic pill. Now, I'm not going to say it's as easy as popping a pill. It's not. But I will say it does work. If you do it and you follow the, the way uh, Fast Blast kind of recommends, you're going to lose weight. I mean, it does happen pretty much with everyone who sticks to it. It speeds up your metabolism. It does stuff like that. It, it's not one of these excruciating diets where you just kind of shave off a quarter of a pound a week because, after struggling for the whole week. This actually moves the scale every single day, at least it has in my experience. And I would say that I would, uh, I would highly recommend looking at this, giving it a try. It's a different way of thinking about eating. And I don't know. I've been walking around, you know, Occasionally, they let us out of our home in the middle of coronavirus, and you walk around, and you see all the people who have been locked up in their homes and venturing out for the first time, and you realize all of us, there's no, more, there's no such thing. They don't even have to carry smalls in stores anymore. Now it's only large, extra large, and extra, extra large. That's all you need because we're all kind of growing in size, and you have to be able to change the way that you're doing things. If you want to make a change, you got to do something different, right? Um, go to fastblast.com slash blaze, do your own homework, learn about intermittent fasting. They also have these great smoothies that make the whole process a lot easier. Plus an app called Fasten. It's available in your phone's, uh, app store right now. F A S T E N. Just search for that. It's a cool way to make this uh, happen. And it kind of gamifies weight loss a little bit. Fastblast.com. A healthier and smaller you is on the way. Fastblast.com slash blaze. Joined now by Chelsea Follett. She's a policy analyst at the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity and is the managing editor of humanprogress.org. Her new paper, Neo-Malthusianism and Coercive Population Control in China and India, Overpopulation Concerns Often Result in Coercion. For those keeping score at home, it is policy analysis number 897. Welcome to the program, Chelsea. I appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for having me on, Stu, and thank you for drawing attention to this issue, the instance of coercive population control that uh, your audience is probably most familiar with, and that's the most egregious right now, would be the situation in China. At this point, it's hard to deny with mounting evidence that the Chinese Communist Party has enacted wide-ranging human rights abuses against its ethnic and religious minorities, particularly the Uyghur population. And one of those abuses would be uh, subjecting this population to particularly strict enforcement of its two-child policy. China's two-child policy replaced the one-child policy in 2016. And we're now seeing many reports coming out of Xinjiang, the region uh, where the majority of the Uyghur minority lives, showing women uh, giving first-hand accounts of undergoing coerced abortion, sometimes even in the third trimester, uh, being forced to undergo sterilization surgeries while imprisoned in internment camps uh, or under the threat of their relatives being imprisoned if they don't comply. And of course, everyone in China who becomes pregnant with a third child uh, is subject to some pressures like this, although enforcement varies a lot by jurisdiction. Uh, but we've definitely seen that the way this policy is, in, is uh, implemented has been influenced, unfortunately, by these prejudices against uh, religious and ethnic minorities. That's not how they justify it, though. Yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, they, it's interesting, Chelsea, because your paper drew attention to that uh, f for the first time. I, I don't remember hearing in this sort of glorious celebration that they got rid of the one-child policy. They just simply implemented a two-child policy. I mean, this is, it, it's not as restrictive, obviously. It is maybe not affecting as many people, um, but it is still crushing, and the way it's uh, impl uh, being enforced largely on just enemies of the state or perceived enemies of the state is, is really shocking. This is all true. I agree with you. The way that they're enforcing it is they can use this policy as a cover to decrease populations that the government already doesn't like, but that's not uh, how they're justifying it. The reason behind the one child, now two child policy uh, is ultimately tied to environmental concerns. They say, uh, China's state council says in their national population development plan, the current one that goes up until the year 2030, that the tensions between population and resources and environment will not fundamentally change. And this is why China needs to continue to promote balanced population development, which is their sort of Orwellian mm. <laughs> way of saying forcibly limiting couples to now two children. Again, not as bad as one child, but still we are talking about a situation where a couple can be fined up to 10 times their annual income, have their life savings seized, where people have to apply for birth permits before even conceiving a child. It's incredibly dystopian. So let's let's back up. And, and how did this get? Because, I mean, it's about neo-Malthusianism. Thomas Malthus is the guy who's kind of seen as the, the, the father of this particular theory. And, you know, talk about what he believed and how did it take hold in China? Sure. So at the end of the 18th 
century, an English clergyman named Thomas Malthus published a very influential essay on population, where he theorized that as the population grew, people would no longer be able to feed themselves and there would be widespread famine. And of course, after he died, that did not happen. The Industrial Revolution occurred. Uh, the Green Revolution occurred. People were able to feed themselves. Even as the population reached new highs, poverty decreased, and living standards reached levels that would be unimaginable to our ancestors, certainly to Thomas Malthus. And it was largely debunked until uh, the 1960s and 1970s when we saw a resurgence in Malthusian thought. That's why we call it neo-Malthusianism. Uh, when the environmental movement really started to take off. And originally this was a very bipartisan concern. Uh, people saw that the world population was growing and during the 60s and 70s at levels that it had never grown before. It kept reaching new highs and they were worried that this would strain the world's resources and would lead to widespread starvation. And so you saw a lot of concerns, renewed concerns about overpopulation. And these ideas eventually reached officials in China. We know that the man who helped design the one-child policy was influenced by Thomas Malthus himself. He read that uh, essay of his and other writings by Thomas Malthus. But we also know that he read a very influential report called The Limits to Growth, by the Club of Rome, a Western environmental group made up of uh, concerned professionals, scientists and officials and others uh, who are just trying to figure out how we could solve this overpopulation issue. And basically this report suggested that you could use systems analysis or math to uh, calculate the ideal sustainable population of a country. And so the officials of the Chinese Communist Party at the time looked at this. They thought that it, uh, it made sense that their population should be much lower than it was. And that's when they first implemented the one-child policy uh, in 1979. Toward the uh, uh, end of the 70s, they implemented this policy and they were rewarded. Uh, actually by uh, the West with lots of praise initially for the policy. In 1983, the United Nations Population Fund, the UN Population Agency, actually gave the inaugural Population Award uh, meant to you know, encourage people, officials, who would come up with population solutions to a man named Qian Xinchang, who was the man in charge of China's State Family Planning Commission, the man in charge of the one-child policy in its early days, uh, when we know that there were widespread abuses, there were reports in the Wall Street Journal of women literally being tied up and hauled off in trucks to get sterilizations they did not want mm. or undesired abortions, but they were rewarded for this. And the other winner of the first population award, there were co-winners, was Indira Gandhi, the Prime Minister of India at the time, who had actually earlier overseen uh, a bunch of mandated sterilizations during a period of Indian history called the emergency from 1975 to 1977 when civil liberties were suspended. And there were about 11 million sterilizations, many of them, probably about 9 million of them, forced during this period. It's not clear how much Indira Gandhi herself knew. It may have been mostly her nephew who was in charge of the policy, but still this was a case of the UN trying to reward 
any any policy to decrease the population regardless of whether or not it was coercive. And it's not that they didn't know these policies mm. were coercive. Actually, one of the uh, people on the award committee resigned in protest of the recipients because it was well known at the time uh, that there were abuses during the emergency and that China's one-child policy was very coercive. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Chelsea. Like, I think going into this, I, 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 I kind of knew an outline, at least, of China. I mean, you're, you're, you really go into depth on all of the stuff that, that's gone on, and it's all it's just shocking. I, what, I, India sort of surprised me. I mean, because you, you go into even the emergency, the, the whole story of the emergency is, is worth the read just there. It's, 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 it's fascinating and very strange. Um, but even today in, in, in India, we're seeing... Uh, remnants of this philosophy that live on. And it, it shocks me how commonplace it is with sometimes celebrities that we'll interview. They'll, they'll just quote these things as if it's just fact. It's so deeply ingrained in so many people's heads that too many people is a bad thing when I certainly look at it as a really good thing. The more people, the better. I agree with you. Unfortunately, in India today, and again, we need to clarify that this is not anywhere close to the scale yeah. of what you are seeing in China. Mm -hmm. uh, India is a very different case. But even in India today, there are some troublesome policies that remain. Uh, there is less political representation for people who live in states with high birth rates. So that is maybe a very indirect form of uh, trying to push people to have fewer children, although I don't think it's very effective. And about half of the population of India live in states with what they call two-child policies, but it's not nearly as bad as what you see in China. In India, the two-child policies, uh, these typically restrict people from being able to run for office, being able to get a government job, and there are some other restrictions, uh, but they're not being fined uh, massive mm -hmm. uh, you know, amounts of money. They are not being forcibly sterilized. That's no longer politically palatable. But there is still a very widespread concern in India about overpopulation. Their Prime Minister um, Modi spoke about that at the last uh, Indian, um, uh, last year during the Indian Independence Day speech. He talked about an overpopulation crisis and the need for urgent action on this. And hmm. there has been a lot of talk in India about having perhaps a national two-child policy. But again, because India is a democracy that should protect the population against uh, actual coercive population control policies on the level that we're seeing in China. But like you're saying, this mindset, it's not restricted to people in China or India. This is something you see among celebrities in the West, whether it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying last year, you know, in the face of climate change, is it okay to still have children? Or whether it's the, uh, you know, celebrity TV host Bill Mayer also saying last year, mm. uh, and these are his words, that he can't think of a better gift the planet than pumping out fewer children to destroy it. Or uh, you know, Prince, Prince Harry, if, if he's still called a prince, they may have removed that title. Um, but across the pond last year, he also said that he thinks responsible parents should um, have two children maximum for environmental reasons. Yeah. So this is a very widespread popular belief now among some environmentalists. It's particularly um, it's particularly prominent on the left. Again, originally, this was a bipartisan concern, but with this latest resurgence we've seen, it's very much on the left. You may remember last year there was a report calling for uh, climate action, including a reduction of the world's population right. to fight 
climate change that went very viral. It was shared by many office holders, including Senators uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, Ed Markey, Chris Van Hollen, Representative Jimmy Gomez, Susie Lee, and the list goes on. And uh, President-elect Joe Biden has yep. even voiced uh, sort of soft support of the uh, family restrictions in China. He said to a Chinese audience back when he was vice president and back when they had the one child policy, not the two child policy, your policy has been one which I fully understand. I'm not second guessing of one child per family. Uh. So with that phrasing, I, know, I understand I'm not second guessing. He voiced some level of acceptance, which comes with this mindset that overpopulation is this very urgent problem. It's a crisis that may even necessitate uh, force or coercion or some acceptance of policies of that nature. Yeah, Chelsea, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I, I mean, it, we're, we're running short on time here, and I, I would love to have you back and, and go into a little bit more depth on this. But it, it is amazing, too, not only how these beliefs had the resurgence in, in the 60s, but how all those predictions from the 60s wound up crashing into the ground and failing. Um, and, and, and how you point out in the paper, too, how the solution comes naturally if this is a problem, that people, as they get wealthier, start having less and less children. We're going to run out of time here uh, for now, but I, I encourage people to go to, uh, to the paper. It's neo-Malthusianism and coercive population control in China and India. Overpopulation concerns often result in coercion. Policy analysis number 897 by Chelsea Follette. It's a, she's a policy analyst for the Cato Institute's Center for Global uh, Liberty and Prosperity and managing editor of humanprogress.org, which I will recommend incredibly highly as a website because it actually reminds me that the world doesn't suck. And I love that you guys do that over there. Thank you so much for keeping track of all that data. And it's such an important effort you guys are doing. Thank you, Stu. Thank you. Uh, back in a second. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, always the victim. That's her defining characteristic. Not that she's socialist or famous or on Twitter all the time, but that she's always the victim in every situation. Uh, today, she's a victim of the Twitters. That's right. You see, people unfairly targeted her because they happened to notice she was selling a Tax the Rich sweatshirt for $58. Now, that's not true exactly. I mean, it is true, okay? Yes, this stupid sweatshirt uh, is a uh, true? Do we even? Yeah, there it is in the bottom. Uh, I guess the bottom left. Um, that is the an actual sweatshirt on her site, and it does sell for fifty-eight dollars. But the truth of it is, it was sixty-five. She lowered the price for you, the people. See, that's because she's a good person. By the way, she uh, is responding to criticism about that. Now she does have the tax the rich uh, thing. She also has the drink water and don't be racist shirt, which I can't imagine she's selling any of those. And this is a person, again, who happens to be the purveyor of such wonderful websites as andrewcuomoisawful.com. Uh, you know, look, I've got Santifa Claus. i got the sweatshirt right down here. Uh, it just came in. First one. Uh, there it is. Santifa Claus. Ready for your Christmas. You can get it at stewdoesmerch.com or I think santifaclaus.com as well. Um, my, that's the combination of uh, Santa Claus and Antifa, by the way. Uh, I would say this, though. Uh, I have no problem with selling a 
a sweatshirt for $58. Now, I don't think you'll pay $58, uh, so they don't cost $58. But if I thought you would pay $58, I would totally sell them for $58. That's called capitalism. If I thought you'd enjoy them at $58, and you're like, ah, this sounds great, it's worth $58, that's a, 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 a transaction with two sides, mutually beneficial, that's capitalism. If you don't criticize capitalism, and you're not uh, thinking we should switch to socialism, I have no problem with you selling a $58 shirt. They were, they, they, she tried to respond, first of all, saying, well, Donald Trump is selling one for $55. Yes, so what? Donald Trump's a capitalist. He could sell, if, if you would buy a $300 sweatshirt from Donald Trump, he would sell you a $300 sweatshirt. That's how this works. But when you bitch about it all the time, you don't get to get the benefit of saying you're a capitalist. You have to sit here and squirm in your own hypocrisy. She comes out and she uh, did tweet, um, made in America, union printed, union printed. Uh, sounds about right. That's what it costs to pay everyone a decent wage along the way. And here's the thing, and I don't normally say this about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's right. She's right. The world which she wants to live is a world where your sweatshirts cost $65. And you get discounted to $58 if you're lucky. Because you do things like this, everything costs a fortune and no one can afford anything. No one gets the stupid shirt because no one can afford it. That's the world she wants to live in. That's the world she's recommending to you. She's right on this one. And therefore, I guess she is the victim today. So how is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a victim in this particular story? Well, the Internet is beating her up over her principles, uh, even though, of course, her principles are nothing but a pack of lies. And that's how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a victim today. Hey, hey, what do you say? You know, you could buy almost a thousand sweatshirts for five hundred thousand dollars. Just think about that. Or no, ten thousand sweatshirts. Oh my gosh! Think of how many sweatshirts you could have. I don't think she's charging five hundred dollars yet for a sweatshirt, but it could happen at any point. Ilan Omar has a few hundred thousand dollars. She can now claim uh, five hundred thousand dollars in economic injury disaster loans uh, from uh, AOC, uh, Ilan Omar's, excuse me, uh, husband. Um, this is the guy. He received 135,000 in PPP loans and 500,000 in economic injury disaster loans. Campaign finance filings also show that the firm raked in millions of dollars during the 2020 campaign for Omar. This is a very common politician scam. Bernie Sanders does this a lot. What you do is you kind of put your spouse or a family member in charge of a company that does things for campaigns. We do advertising for campaigns. We recruit, you know, we, we're get out the vote crew. We're political campaigns or something. And then your money comes in from idiots who buy your $55 sweatshirts. And then that money gets funneled to your family. So it doesn't look like you're just, you know, stealing campaign donations. You're paying for advertisement. Uh, Bernie Sanders has, has done this famously for years and years and years and years. One of the things Sanders did was with media buyers. So think of think of this. Basically, you have Sanders who takes all your campaign money and then gives it to a media buyer to buy his campaign ads. They're not producing the ads. They're not running the ads. What they're doing is taking money from Bernie Sanders uh, campaign that people have donated to it and then going to the ra local radio TV channel or radio channel uh, to place the ads saying, oh, here. Here's a, I've got, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders wants to run a million dollars worth of ads. 
uh, here you you know here you go CBS affiliate in you know Berm, uh, in you know somewhere in Vermont uh, Mont uh, no Montpelier is New Hampshire right and I can't remember all this <laughs> I'm losing I used to live in that this area too I should know more uh, Burlington how about Burlington Vermont we're gonna we're gonna call, we're gonna run some uh, campaign commercials in Burlington and uh, a million dollars worth of campaign commercials and then the media buyer gets a cut of that. So it's basically a way for him to funnel money to his spouse, to his relatives. Campaigns do this all the time. It's what uh, uh, Ilan Omar seems to be doing as well. Uh, Omar has paid nearly $2.8 million to her husband's political consulting firm so far in 2019 uh, and 2020. Uh, during that cycle, 70% of her third quarter disbursements. Once again, it's just embarrassing um, you know, that they do this. At least Bernie's like, well, can you at least... Act like you're buying some ads. I mean, she's just like, ah, oh, you're a consultant. Who knows what that is? And finally, uh, a new uh, former advisor uh, from of Andrew Cuomo has been uh, out. Lindsay Bo- uh, Boylan. She's running for Manhattan Borough President and worked for Cuomo's administration from 2015 to 2018. According to her LinkedIn profile, she was prompted by someone asking uh, uh, about people's worst job. She was. She answered, "Most toxic team environment, working." For Andrew Cuomo, she continued, I've had many jobs waitressing at Friendly's. Uh, anyone who's been to Friendly's, you know all about the fribble. So, you know, lots of quality people like me coming in to get fribbles. Uh, waitressing at Friendly's as a teenager was an infinitely more respectful environment. Even when I had bad customers who tipped poorly, if people weren't deathly afraid of him, they'd be saying the same thing. And you'd already know the stories. I've been saying the same thing. I didn't work for the guy, but I do know that Andrew Cuomo was awful. Dot com. I also know that Chris Cuomo is worse. Dot com. The point is, the entire family is a bunch of disasters. And I'm glad you're starting to hear about that a little bit. I, I feel like the tide has been turning here over the past couple of months against Andrew Cuomo, kind of chipping away at his approval rating. I, can, I hope it continues because he really legitimately is terrible. Back in a second. cartoon Richie Rich was that you remember that thing like where it was like a really young rich kid and he would go around and have money and buy everything uh and then it wasn't there silver spoons too remember that with Ricky Schroeder I think was his name anyway the point is uh back in the day they always seemed like they're just throwing you know uh Scrooge McDuck he was just throwing gold around they had its swimming pools filled with gold uh that's not exactly reality but it can be reality for you you can pay with gold wherever you go glint pay makes it possible what do they do you can invest in gold that means you buy real physical gold you you get the benefits of uh, investing in gold with all the money that's going out of the door right now in our government with coronavirus and everything else you know the dollar's going to be weak uh this gives you a chance to look at that and say okay well inflation's coming how do i uh, hedge against that gold now, the problem with gold, first of all, high fees. You get, you know, there's a lot, you know, you're paying a huge percentage of your investment uh, when, you, when you buy gold. Well, not with GlintPay. It's only like a half a percent, uh, which is really super low, much lower than everyone else. And when you get the gold, they store it for you in Switzerland in a Brinks vault, and they give you a little card. You get a little like MasterCard where you can go to any store and pay for normal everyday things with gold. So you get the upside of the, uh, the versatility of being able to uh, access your money when you need it and the upsides of investing in gold. It's a great idea. Glintpay.com slash stew. Glintpay.com slash stew. The slash stew part of the address is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. G-L-I-N-T-P-A-Y dot 
glintpay.com slash stew, glintpay.com slash stew. Spent a little time at the beginning of the show talking about the vaccine and uh, its possibility of, I don't know, maybe getting us to get back to normal a little bit. Uh, the first vaccine could be uh, coming to you very, very soon, if you, especially if you're in one of these first groups to get it. They expect uh, vaccines could be approved as early as Friday, and the first vaccine shipment will happen on the day after the vaccine is approved. So that is right around the corner. Uh, and speaking of sort of tech and innovation, Elon Musk, whose uh, stock Tesla, by the way, stock is up 782 percent in the last year. Not bad. Some of this guy has like maintained his position somewhat in the the wonderful glow of the media, despite the fact that he's been saying things you're not supposed to say about opening businesses in the middle of the coronavirus. I don't know how he's pulled this off. They like this like I guess they like electric cars and solar power. But anyway, so he is uh, saying he is telling his friends and associates he plans to move to Texas. Um, you know, he's already had the covid. So if you need a place to stay, Elon, let me know. We've got a we've got a couch. I can get a futon for you, maybe an air mattress. You let me know. We'll make it happen. Back in a second. Trying to buy or sell a home in these times can be very challenging. You need a real estate agent you can trust. Uh, Our own Glenn Beck started a company called realestateagentsitrust.com many years ago now. And it's been a very successful operation. Why? Because people have good experiences. You go on the site, you find the best agent in your area. You're very happy about that choice. Uh, You go through the transaction. It's fantastic. It's free to you. And uh, what happens at the end? You say to your friend, hey, realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a great place to go before you buy or sell a home. The word spreads. It spreads organically. Uh, We like telling you about it here because realestateagentsitrust.com is getting someone you can trust for your most important financial transaction. We want you to be successful here so you can afford our $58 Attacks the Rich t-shirts. Okay? That's what we need. So we want you to have a successful transaction, a good financial reward when you sell your home for the best uh, price and the most money. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com to get that done. realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. What better way to celebrate the birth of our Savior than going to stewdoesmerch.com? I think we should rewrite that promo. Uh, Here's a model to show you what things look like on the site. Yes, we got the sexiest model we could find with a Santifa Claus uh, sweatshirt, the first one that's come in. And I don't know if people have ever seen this before. before. The Andrew Cuomo is awful face mask. The face mask thing, uh, hopefully we're not doing it for too much longer. But if you're going to do it, you should at least tell people that Andrew Cuomo is awful. You can get all the Christmas presents there, including uh, Andrew Cuomo's awful mugs and all the stuff that you need. Uh, Stu does coffee mugs, everything right up at uh, at stewdoesmerch.com. Uh, also, one of our best sellers is the mug that says uh, it's not a riot. It's a mostly peaceful tree lighting with the city and the Christmas tree on fire in the background. You can get it all at stewdoesmerch.com. So a few reviews here before we leave. Uh, Realism defined. 
pessimism, sarcasm, cynicism. Personally, I feel like these words are all falling under the, the term realism, and that's what I get from Who Does America. I'm informed about current events. I'm depressed about current events, but I still get some laughs out of it. Thanks, Stu, for being my favorite podcast ever. That's an awesome review. Five freaking stars. How about this one? Five fr- star freaking review. A vegetarian that doesn't like vegetables. Okay, well, the show is still okay. Whatever. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Are you kidding? This stupid show is still on? Who listens to this stuff anymore? No one I know. But whatever. It's great, I guess. Five star worthy. Eh, who knows? Maybe we'll find out tomorrow. So I guess I'll keep listening and find out. Five freaking stars. They already committed. They can, There's nothing to find out about. And it's a show. Yeah. I guess it's great or something. Whatever. Five freaking stars. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not looking for actual love here. I'm just looking for the stars. We use each other here. I give you a show. You give me the stars. We will uh, see you tomorrow.